Rappers and them Cartiers I do my thing any harder way And if you know where we're going Then you probably gonna be coming with us Hello, hello, welcome back to another episode of Mainly Celtics Podcast. Uh, it's an early one, Maddie. We're up Sunday morning, 8 a.m. Yeah, rise and grind. Rise and grind. Uh, yeah, we had quite a bit to talk about with the – I thought this was going to be a week that we were going to be looking for stuff originally, and I thought we just had the draft. But, I mean, we had that we're coming off the finals. We saw um, my Milwaukee Bucks. Obviously, I'm a huge uh, Bucks fan now that they've, they've won, uh, win, win a title. And, and absolutely, like, I mean, that's a historic performance. Like, that's probably the greatest closeout performance I think I've ever seen in a finals. Definitely that we've ever seen. Yeah. Um, I was sitting down watching the game um, at a restaurant with a friend, and uh, we were sitting there, like, I had absolutely no idea that Giannis was going for 50 when he was at the free throw line at the end there. Not a clue in the world. Yeah, I mean, he was – he was so – what's odd about him is it wasn't a typical like, dominant Giannis game because usually if he's putting up 40-something, like he's doing almost all of it from the line. Maybe he's getting lucky in a couple threes yeah. or not doing it from the line, doing it from inside. But he was 17 and 19 for free throws, which is very un giannis like Like just shooting almost 90% on on his free throws. Or I guess that – yeah, that would be that would be 90%, right? Or no, just, just tab below. Just tab below, but either yeah. way. Like shooting in the upper mid to upper eighties, um, free throw percentage for a game on nineteen attempts. That's just that's just incredible. And he was dominant on the glass. He was an incredible shot blocker. We saw how um, effective he was as as a guy that was able to roam. He was kind of used as a center a lot of the time, and he was super effective in that role. I believe he had five blocks as well. Yeah, sure five, the first, five blocks. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's the first player to ever have uh, fifty like 50, 13, and 5, like whatever stat line was in an NBA Finals game. Another stat line that I saw from it, he was the first player ever to score, uh, to average 30, 10, and uh, 5 assists on 60% shooting. Yeah. I mean, he was just absolutely dominant throughout that series, and it really kind of put to bed all the woes. And People, we've talked about, like, how his inability to shoot is the reason why maybe he couldn't be the number one option on a championship team. Yeah. We just saw it really doesn't matter. Like he's he's the modern day Shaq. He's the modernized version of Shaq in the way that he is a little bit more versatile. He's not quite as uh, physically imposing like Shaq was obviously being like 280 pounds of pure muscle, mm-hmm. but he's still 245 pounds of pure muscle. Athletic, can switch, can play a lot of different positions. It's very versatile offensively. He still can't shoot, but it really didn't matter with how dominant he was inside. He made DeAndre Ayton, um, someone that I thought looked very good against Jokic, the league MVP this year. He made Ayton look terrible defensively. He just had Ayton in hell all series. Just <laughs> he just had no answer for him. No, after game one, after game one that the uh, Suns won by by a, a good margin, the uh, DeAndre Ayton didn't look the same. There was a a different a difference in the way that he was defended. There was a difference in the way that he was pressured and. Yeah. Uh, it, it it was a ma- I we give Bud a lot of shit on this podcast, but he coached a very very uh smart and efficient game of uh, series. Yeah, no, for sure. Like he deserves all the credit in the world. Like he made the 
adjustments he needed to make in this series. Which, and, which was his, which was what the media was portraying as his, as his weakness, you know? Like, yeah. That's what everyone was saying about Bud. It's like, oh, he can't make an adjustment. He just sticks to the same game plan and goes with it. Yeah. And, inability to correct himself. Yeah. And we saw, obviously, um, him, him using Giannis as a center. He switched up his lineup. I believe Connaughton originally was starting. I think he slid PJ Tucker and went with a bigger lineup, and that was very effective. Um, and we also, Tucker- saw, we also saw him go to Jeff Teague more at the end instead of Bryn Forbes, um, which turned out to be a, a big positive. Shout out Jeff yeah. Teague. Big I know. In, I know. In Game Six, I think they only played him two minutes, but they just went with their top seven because they're like it's a closeout game. Like we don't need to extend a rotation anymore. But yeah, I mean, he tried. He tried Bryn Forbes. He tried um, Jeff Teague. I think there was another guy. He might have uh, got a little bit of run in there. But he was just trying different things to see what would, what would stick, and it seemed like defensively, at least Teague was uh, less less prone to being picked on. Or even if he was picked on, he could hold his own a little bit better. Yeah, so I think that's why they went with Teague there. But either way, they they had only a really seven man rotation of of uh, solid rotation guys, and they were also in the championship that way because of the the dominance of um, Giannis and Drew Holiday just being the fucking probably the best perimeter on ball defender I think I've seen these playoffs like he was absolutely incredible he had Chris Paul and Devin Booker in hell all series just when he was locking up on them mm-hmm. speaking of those two guys what what do you think happened to the Suns I mean the Suns won six straight playoff games yeah I mean I think uh, a big thing with them is they got away from what was really successful I know Chris Paul wasn't Chris Paul actually had a a quietly good series, which I feel like every game I watched, I feel like he wasn't playing well. I think a lot of times it wasn't garbage time. He was doing a lot of his scoring. But I feel like they, they got away from their, their team style of basketball. We were preaching about how beautiful it was, them moving the ball around and all that stuff. And I feel like they went to more and more isolation. Booker, the series went on. Like, they started to figure out DeAndre Ayton. They went less to Ayton. Mm-hmm. Chris Paul seemed less. Just the overall flow of the, the, the ball seemed to – seemed to stop it seemed to become a lot more isolation ball I think that's what really got him yeah the um I've got a couple points here um the the Bucks could have I mean the the Suns could have swept this series if it weren't for a Devin Booker turnover on the last possession in game three and a Chris Paul turnover in game was that game four or game I think that was game five that happened. okay so they could have won four one they could have won out in five if there wasn't a turnover in game three and a turnover in game five. They would have had to hit shots to, at the end of each game, but they had an opportunity to win that series in five games. And it's it's too bad because like they they were they were up two zero. They had just swept the Nuggets, and Suns in four was going bananas. The internet was ablaze, and them winning it it never comes down to one play but if you really wanted to dive into it and say like where the suns lost this this series you could say that the booker turnover with however many 13 15 seconds left in game three and chris paul coughing it up and Giannis getting that alley-oop from uh drew holiday in game five that's really where I mean, those two plays go differently. The the Suns even score one on one of those possessions, then we probably would be talking about it at, at Game Seven. Yeah, I mean, 
we we talked about, and those are both defensive plays, and at least one of them I know for a fact was caused by Drew Holiday, if not both. Yeah, he, um, yeah. he ripped Chris Paul at the end in that game five. Yeah, so he's like, I mean, it's just we talked. I think early on in the series, it was like, well, the Bucks have a solid defense, but does it really matter if the Suns' offense is just clicking all cylinders like it was? Yeah. And we just saw that the impact of having guys that are five uh, plus defenders on the court at all times. I mean, you can say uh, maybe Middleton's average, maybe not plus, but still, they just brought it defensively and they caused a lot of havoc, especially late in the series as people started to tire down. Like the defense, defense held tight and it really won them a couple ball games. It really did, yeah. Yeah, even the last one is only what one five ninety five. It was a low scoring game. It was. And being able to have that defensive versatility with all their guys, like obviously PJ Tucker could. PJ Tucker seemed like he guarded like two through five pretty effectively. You have Brooke Lopez, who was who was solid in the middle. Obviously, didn't play a ton ton of minutes because he did like to have a little bit smaller lines every once in a while. You had Giannis, who could obviously guard two through five if you can. Defensive Player of the Year, incredible help side defender. Mm-hmm. Isn't um, Brooke Lopez a former DPOI? No, he he made he made an all all defense team. All I believe. Okay, I believe he made one. We uh his first year with the first year with the Bucks. I think you're right. I believe he might have made a second team, but that's uh, don't don't quote me on that. But yeah, I mean he's a solid defender. It's just like in the way that most most centers are considered solid defenders. Like he's yeah. not he's not like switching he's not switching on to smaller guys, but he's great at guarding bigger centers and he's great at guarding uh just being able to protect the rim. And I mean, he he revitalized his career with his perimeter game, and that also extends to perimeter defense to a degree. I I, I would say, yeah, he's not completely like they were playing a lot of drop coverage and they were getting killed with that. But he, it seemed like they made a slight tweaks. Both he and Bud must have made some slight adjustments because they were getting exposed less and less in those um those drop like drop pick and roll coverages. But and so speaking of that, just a quick note with uh you talked about uh expanding his perimeter game did you see steven adams uh his trainer said he's making a, a commitment to shooting trying to sh- become more of a perimeter player offensively no that, but that's it that's interesting yeah i mean i don't know i don't I, I would like to see at least his free throw numbers and maybe what his shots are outside of the paint like what his percentages are there yeah. but i don't know if he's a guy and obviously i don't really i haven't really looked at brooke lopez because he didn't have a huge sample size before then either but It'd be interesting to see if he is a guy that looks to project to be able to shoot threes. I, mean, I don't really remember Steven Adams even taking very many jump shots, let alone threes. I think he's only taken yeah. 13 in his career. But that would definitely be an interesting uh, interesting little uh, little wrinkle if if the Pelicans were able to have a guy that could sit up there and shoot, uh, even hit like 33% of wide open threes. Like that would help space things out for, for Zion quite a bit. Yeah, um... Steven Adams' career free throw percentage is right around 55%. Yeah, so usually, I mean, that usually projects to be that – w- that would make me say his jump shot maybe isn't as – just because that's usually – usually when you see guys that go from college to the NBA, one of the big predictors of whether or not their jump shot will be successful is their free throw shooting because it shows them they're the, the, able to be consistent with their shot. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's just not usually a good sign. Like, if you look up Brooke Lopez, I'm sure Brooke Lopez is probably closer to 70%. Let me check. But I just I don't know. That's just me off the top of my head. Yeah, I feel like usually most guys that can shoot shoot the three ball well are usually guys that are at least hitting two thirds of their free throws. Um Brooklyn. I might be dead I might be dead wrong and looking really stupid on this, but 
No, let me field goal three. He, uh, last year he shot 84% from the line the year before 83, the year before that. Yeah. So he's so like, he's a career 80% from the line. So like that, that makes sense. It's like, that's the guy that project out even, especially for big men. Cause a lot of big men, I mean, you look at Al Horford is a good, uh, three point shooter for, mm-hmm. for big. He's a guy that has a set shot. He don't even have a jump shot because most of the time you are going to be left to wide open or you're going to be left alone in, in like pick and pop coverages. So you, all you all you need like that free throw becomes even more important because you it usually is just a free throw a little bit more leg into it for some of these bigger guys. Yeah, because usually just a lot of times these guys do wind up having just set shots. So, um, my last point about the about the finals and the Suns was uh, we got to give credit to Jay Crowder. He's a championship player. The guy is big. yeah. The guy has been pieces on the last two teams that have made great runs. He basically became when DeAndre Ayton got sort of swallowed up, he became that third piece of offense for the Suns this series. I think. He's able to hit some big threes. I'm pretty sure he shot at least I don't know, maybe this was a little bit early in the series, but I shot one I saw at one point he was shooting like forty five percent on his threes or something like that. Yeah, so I don't know if that there was one stretch where he was like over like over their two games he was like nine for 13 like a big a big big contributor especially from the three three point line we see that i mean they had two of those guys where it's like those i don't like to label guys three and me but those defenders that can help you space the court even a little bit yeah like those guys are so important because it once again it it doesn't bog down your offense with your star players and defensively allows you to be very versatile whereas like jay crowder i mean he's not going to necessarily guard fives pretty confidently but He's still a guy that can, if he switches on to a five, like they're not going to be able to just bully him. Like he's still like, he's still like six, eight, like 230 pounds. Like he's not going to get like bitched around by, by some bigger centers. So yeah. And I mean, he'll we, hold saw, his own. we saw that before Giannis got moved to the five, we saw, um, uh, who is it? Tory Craig and, and Jay Crowder basically played the four and the five in, at, at some points. Yeah. So Jay Crowder, he's versatile. Like, like he can guard most perimeter players. He can guard um, some big guys. He can even be in situ- situations he can play the four pretty competently. Um, I haven't seen him play too much, like just pure small ball five. I think Craig was technically the small ball five in that lineup. Yeah. But he's still a guy that is versatile and can do a lot defensively, which is um, we'll talk and we'll talk about later some guys possibly in the draft that do have that. Uh, do have that capabilities, at least uh, if you project them going forward, be that versatile defender that can provide something offensively and spacing wise. Yeah. So that's, that is the mainly Celtics podcast signing off on boss man 99 on the Suns and the bucks. And uh, you have anything else about the finals? No, I mean, that was great finals. I was, I was glad that we got, once again, I like the parody. I like seeing some new teams in the finals. So that was fun. It was um, I'm glad I'm glad Giannis got his championship. Um, he's celebrating like he should. He's doing Instagram lives, eating 50 uh, nuggets at Chick-fil-A. Um, <clears throat> PJ Tucker looked absolutely electric at the parade. He looked like he was having just a grand old time. feel happy for him. He was a guy um, eight years ago was playing in like Israel and like Spain. Like it didn't look like 
it didn't look like at what should have been the prime of his career, like 25 years old. Like it looked, it didn't look like he would ever play in the NBA again. So no. it's good to see him. And he's playing a huge role. He's one of those guys that was a real plug and play guy. He was vital in um, those Houston teams to being successful because of ability to space the floor and playing way, way above his size. Yeah. So happy, happy for PJ Tucker, happy for Giannis. That's, he, he's going to be a massive free agent question for them. Yeah. I mean, I think some teams going to give him a bag. I think, honestly, one team that makes a lot of sense is the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh-huh. Just putting him beside Carl Anthony Towns. You have a team that already provides that ton of spacing right there with being your two big men. He provides the defense that Carl's uh, lacking, playing some of maybe the more big, bigger physical guys. He's still not really a rim protector, but no. um, might help shirp some of the, some of the woes defensively for for Cat. And you could see we saw it. We talked about it last episode with the help side defense from Giannis that would free up Cat to be a little bit more fluid on the defensive end and and potentially become a better defender. Yeah, they need they need to find some way how to make him more effective defensively because he's a fine defender, but it's just like he doesn't do anything extremely well on the defensive side of the ball, which is kind of it's kind of tough. You want your center to be your defensive anchor, so definitely he just figure out a way to a way to be really effective. But um. So today we teased it last week. This is our big uh, draft day pod. Mm-hmm. We will talk about some of the some of the top prospects. Obviously, the Celtics don't have a first round pick this year, so it really sucks that we don't have potential of one of these guys slipping down to us. But right. we're also going to talk some guys that are mocked to our area. Obviously, being at forty five, there's a wide range of guys that can go different places. Definitely. And Emery has a list of 11 guys that I, I found. Um, well, I didn't find them. Tom, Tom Westerholm, I think it's uh, – I don't know what his Twitter is, but he listed these guys on, on his uh, podcast, the Genopod. So you guys can check that out with that list. They did a good breakdown of those guys, uh, watched film on these guys. And um, I, I watched some film on some of the guys I really like too. I checked them out, and I kind of made my list of top four guys. But we'll get into the, the names first off. So Emery, you want to list those names off for me? Yeah, for anyone who's keeping score at home, the names here are JT Thor, Dacian Nix, Herbert Jones, Joe Weiskamp, Austin Reeves, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, Quentin Grimes, Bones Highland, Terrence Shannon Jr., Matthew Hurt, and BJ Boston. Yeah. So first off, before we even get started on actual uh, skills or actual like scouting reports, JT Thor and uh, Bones Highland are some fire names. <laughs> yeah, those, those guys are coming in and playing clamped defense uh, yeah. directly out of the draft. Yeah. So I so what I did is I listened to some of the names. I listened to their breakdowns of their scouting reports. I watched some videos on some of the guys I found interesting for Celtics. I think most of the guys mo- – the guys that I really wanted this pick, though, are honestly high upside guys. I don't know if you felt the same way or you were looking for maybe guys that could help them now. But uh, um, I mean, at 45, it's going to be hard to find a legit, legit rotation piece. And uh, there's some there are some very interesting names on this list, though, some guys with big NBA potential. Yeah. So did you make a list of the three you wanted? I do have a list of the three I want. Okay, so I'll start my – I had to make an honorable mention because I didn't want to just not include them. So I'll start my honorable mention, and we can just go back and forth. Uh, maybe you got you have this guy higher up. Yeah. But my honorable mention was uh, Joe Weiskamp. I, he wasn't on my list. Okay, 
So Joe Wisecam is my honorable mention because he does have an elite skill, which is shooting. Mm-hmm. He is a guy that we talked about last year, Neesmith being uh, possibly the best shooter in this draft. Um, he looked to come around, but Wisecamp is a legit shooter. His ceiling is really Duncan Robinson. I think defensively he's he got picked apart. I believe it was the national championship game. Like Baylor was just attacking he and no. No, Wisecamp's from Iowa. What what yeah, Joe no, yeah, so, yeah, so he's from Iowa. Um, but he got picked apart defensively this year. He doesn't move his feet exceptionally well. He is got good size at like six seven. Mm-hmm. So Duncan Robinson's kind of a fitting comparison. We've seen the Heat be able to play Duncan Robinson in um, big minutes in the playoffs because they can hide him. It helps that he is bigger. He's not one of those guys that's like a six one, six two yeah. uh, knockdown shooter. He is six seven, so you can maybe hide him on pretty much any player on the court, and he won't get exposed too too bad. And he's somewhat switchable just because of his size and length. Yeah, that's but, what I was about to say. You could play him at two or three positions. Yeah. But like like I said, ceilings Duncan Robinson, where he can be that elite elite shooter. I think at the very worst, he's gonna be a really good shooter, but just an absolute nothing from any other real aspect of the game. Mm-hmm. He might just be a catch and shoot guy that can provide spacing, which I think I mean th- that could help a team right now. But he could be just almost unplayably bad defensively. He got picked on a lot. Um, it looked like at the combine, though, he did um, look a little bit more athletic than he'd shown on film. So maybe there is a little bit of defensive upside there, but I still think um, realistically he's never going to be a good defender. I don't think he's really going to provide much else other than just being a spot-up shooter in the mm-hmm. NBA. But that, that's why he's my honorable mention because he does have that elite skill, but I don't see his upside being too, too high, and that's why he's my honorable mention. So who's your number three? My number three is Terrence Shannon Jr. out of Texas Tech. Uh, 6'6 guard, could play multiple positions, uh, shot 45% from the field this year, rebounded the ball well for a guard, had four rebounds, scored 13 points a game on a really good Red Raiders team that I, I was a huge fan of last year in college. Big Mac McClung guy. Um, I had uh, Texas Tech was my pick, to uh, was a pick. I believe I had them going to the Final Four. Um, just pulling up some stats here. Uh, he played this season. He played in 27 minutes, shot 44% from uh, 44.8 from the field and 35.7 from three. That's only on three attempts though. So that that's got to go up. Um, uh, not, not a massive shooter, but uh, a guy that looks to get to the line, a guy that needs to score the basketball. And I was, I was really impressed with that uh, rebounding rate. Uh, it meant that he just sort of was moving around well, is a part of the defense, and uh, is in the right spot for a lot of the times. Um, yeah, I think the three ball is something that uh, needs to change. I, I mean, if he's going to uh, be productive on the Celtics, he needs to take more threes and make more threes. But um, he was my third pick. I did watch a lot of uh, – Texas Tech basketball last year so I saw him a good bit and uh he he was a viable scoring option on a on a top 25 team in the country last year yeah yeah I didn't have him on my list either uh mm-hmm. what what year was he what year is he in school was he a he's a sophomore he's a sophomore okay sophomores usually have pretty good track records but yeah. it's so weird age-wise too because some guys are technically sophomores but it, but 
Um, yeah, but they could be yeah. almost 23. But yeah, but they could be because like, say you redshirted a year, then you also had the COVID year. Uh, but okay. So that's your number three. My okay. number three was Herbert Jones from Alabama. Okay. Um, Herbert Jones. The only problem with him, the real, he looks salt. So I'm going to talk about kind of some similarities with another guy on my list later on, mm-hmm. but Herbert Jones is a lockdown defender. Yeah. He's a guy that, um, def- like once again, has an elite skill. He's going to be able to play defense at the next level. Like that's just a fact. Um, he does make some mistakes offensively. That's cause he's just very aggressive in passing lanes and cause him to be out of place at times. Um, offensively, he's a really good playmaker. He's about six, four, six, five. So he's probably, I believe, I think he's about six, five. So he's probably gonna play the three at the NBA level. Um, as a playmaker, he's a very good, he could act as your point four. I think he averaged uh, about four assists a game last year. Yeah. Um, not being the primary, not being the primary ball handler or not, not, not being the primary ball handler, but not being a, a pro typical point guard four assists a game at the college level is very good. Um, he's a guy though offensively there's some real concerns he cannot shoot worth a lick at all his jump shot his jump shot doesn't look good either it's not like one of those things where um i think people talked about with cam reddish where the jump shot looked good just didn't fall it's a jump shot that doesn't look good and doesn't fall he has some really bad misses i don't know if he can ever shoot at the nba level um he's a good finisher on the rim because he is such an athlete mm-hmm. Uh, another concern is he really struggles. He's left-handed and he really struggles to uh, go to his right hand almost at all. Yeah. So it sounds like you're talking to me about Romeo Langford. That, so that was the comparison I was going to make with, mm-hmm. with Romeo yeah. is, is like, he's very, he's very Romeo Langford, like maybe even a little bit better of a passer, but uh, less of a shooter a little bit less of a shooter. I mean, Romeo's definitely not lights out knocking on the, the basketball at all. No. But – Isn't Romeo left-handed too? Could be. Honestly, I honestly couldn't tell. It's one of those things I think of. I don't really notice – I don't really know. I honestly don't notice much. Another guy in those – well, I believe the next hand is this left-handed, but I always, I always freeze on that. I don't notice it too because it seems so natural to me. Like other guys, it stands out to them. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm just being left-handed. Like I don't notice other guys being left-handed. I feel like as much, but uh, oh, I, I point out, I point out every lefty I see. Yeah, I don't know. It just looks more, looks more natural to me. But he's a guy. Yeah, like his jump shots never. I don't think ever going to come. Uh, I think he might be has a, a decently high floor because he's at least able to play make. Maybe he is a guy that you you help run your second unit. Mm-hmm. Um. You have him be a versatile defender. You send him out there on some difficult matchups, but I just think his offensive game is very limited. And like I said, like he's not really a great passer. So, I mean, not a great ball handler because he really doesn't go right very often, which is a serious concern if like if you want him running your second unit. <laughs> yeah. So there's obviously concerns about him. He is 22, so you, I said with like Romeo, where where he's very Romeo like. He's also like a year older. Than so that's also tough to see. I mean, there's a re- there's a reason this guy's going in the second round, but yeah. um, maybe you can make it work. You've seen other guys that don't necessarily uh, can't necessarily shoot the ball through ball that well, but because they're able to play make, maybe he does clean up his handles. Maybe he is an effective player in the NBA. Ooh. But um, so that was my number two, uh, number three okay. in Herbert Jones. Nice. That's interesting. I hadn't I hadn't even looked at Herbert Jones. I know Alabama has a really good program. 
and uh, they're they're churning out some some good athletes. Uh, speaking of a good program, my number two comes from a premier organization in college basketball, and that my number two is Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Um, six nine forward out of Villanova. Villanova makes makes legit NBA players. I mean, we've seen Jalen Brunson have an incredible uh, have have a great career at what five of ten, six one. He's not six. I think it's about I think it's about five. Yeah, I think it's five eleven, six foot. Yeah. Okay. Um, Jalen Brunson, Josh Hart, Mikael Bridges, uh, just uh, some some great NBA players come out of uh, Villanova. I know we talked about Jay Wright in the coaching episodes. Um, at least I talked about Jay Wright as one of the few college coaches I would be interested in coaching the Celtics. Um, Jeremiah Robinson Earl is a, a a forward, like I said, a guy that let me see his final slashes last year. Uh, 16.4 points, 8.9 rebounds, 2.3 assists, shot 57% from the floor, 28 from three, which is, which isn't great, but he's six foot nine, 242 pounds. A sophomore last year, just named co big East player of the year. Um, a guy that, uh, has massive upside coming out of high school was definitely considered a, uh, a top 20 pick if not a lottery pick. Um, I think he just uh, sort of got uh, bogged down by the Villanova system, like by playing in a system that utilizes everybody to win games. Um, His, uh, the thing I really like about him is that he wasn't the, real primary ball handler for Villanova he wasn't really bringing the ball up but he was always he was getting to his shot shooting almost 60 percent from the field on the entire season he was able to do that and that that six that that he put up uh 19 18.9 points a game on very poor shooting from three if that stroke gets up to 33 34 percent by next year then he could be uh he could be scoring and contributing on the Celtics second unit. Um, very good ball handler for six, nine, uh, a good, uh, he likes to get down into the, um, into the post. He likes to back down players and, uh, we see it with Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. It's a big part of the offense, getting the ball down past the elbow onto the block from, uh, from the back down position. And, uh, they move the ball well. Uh, Jalen and Jason move the ball well off the block. And uh, from film I've seen on uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, that this guy can also good passer, low assist numbers this last year, but uh, very high basketball IQ, uh, good passer, smart, smart hands, smart head guy like that. Um, very good finisher too. Like he can get to the rim and, and get his shot do that um the the another big thing very good defender like for 69 very versatile that's a nba body and uh i think this guy out of the list that you sent me my number 2 and number my one and two picks were toss ups like i would like both of these guys but um the, the I think this guy was one of the better defenders that you that you sent out to me. Uh, 
very he's like a, he's an aggressive defender too like a a guy that will come up and really and get in get in the face and get up into the body of players and at that size he doesn't have great footwork he doesn't have great hands but you can you can teach footwork you can't teach an aggressiveness and you can't teach you can't teach six nine yeah is he he's he was a senior this year wasn't he no he's a sophomore he's only a sophomore okay um because i was listening on western homes they were talking about they didn't think he had a real real high upside because he like i've been talking about my guys is like having that one elite skill he doesn't have a one elite skill he's just kind of like pretty good all around yeah like they just think he's gonna be one of those guys that might be a rotation player in the nba for like 15 years Right, like and he just—he just never, he never is better than the fifth player on the t- fifth or sixth best player on the team, but he's never worse than like the eighth or ninth. Like that's what they kind of thought. They thought he's pretty safe at that uh-huh. because he does have a lot of things he does fairly well, but just no real, uh, st- real standout uh, skill. I would take that at forty-five, seven days a week. Yeah, especially because like we've talked about, like I, I mean, we've had. I don't know if we've been differing too much. I mean, I've talked about a lot where I feel like our biggest need this year is getting that, that kind of combo forward. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that would be the worst pick in the world to get a guy that can help immediately. Um, at 45, I mean, yeah. I mean, if you can get a guy that's a quality NBA player for a bunch of years, that's not the worst thing, uh, especially a guy that, that does fit a need. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're not picking need. You're trying to pick talent. But, but yeah, James Robinson Earl is not, not a terrible one for no. sure. I, I'm a big fan of his game. That was your number two, correct? That was my number two. And I believe yeah. we'll probably have the same number one. Um, um, if you could tell by my Twitter handle, we might. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, number number two for me is JT Thor. One, fire name. Yep. Two, uh, he's one of the best defenders, I believe, in this draft class. Okay. I was watching some film on him because one just the, the name enticed me first, just like a fire name. And then I watched him play, uh, play and he's kind of like, it, it's hard to make a good comparison for him because I wanted to say, OG is a little bit less of a shooter than OG. Like he's a, he's a poor man's OG where he okay. can legitimately, I think he's one of those few guys that might be able to guard one through five efficient, like effectively. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's legit a really good athlete. You can I think his natural position is probably gonna be the power forward. I think he can play some three. I think he can play some small ball five in maybe a year or two. He's a little it will frail right now. But I've seen him switch on to smaller defenders and he can hang with them well enough, especially with his length. He's I believe six nine with a seven one wingspan. So with his length, he's able to stay close enough with guys and then still can he's six ten, yeah. So I knew I knew he was somewhere around there with a the seven one wingspan. And he's a guy that can contest a lot of shots. He can be really disruptive. He's a good athlete. He's got a high motor. Mm-hmm. Um, defensively, like, I think he's just going to be a stud. Now, similar to what I said with Herbert Jones, offensively, he's super raw. Um, offensively, they he pretty much just finishes around the rim. He has, I don't know his free throw numbers. I was watching him shoot. I know he shot about 27% from three last year. Um, his jump shot, just looking at his jump shot, it's certainly not a good jump shot, but I think it's one where, where it could, it could produce a decent three point shooter in the NBA. Yeah. He shot Um, 74% from free throw and 30% from three as a freshman. Okay. So a little bit, 
as a friend, but what about last year? Because last it wasn't as good as sophomore. No, no, this is his, that was his freshman year. Oh, word. Okay, so yeah, so twenty. I don't know where I got the twenty-seven from, um, but he's a guy that's very projectable, and yeah. to be a pick and pop option as like a four, if he can, if he can be that OG type, that that three and D type player with also that that athleticism and able to finish around the rim. I mean, once again, like we've talked about, like the being that fifth guy, like that Mikael Bridges type, uh, even Miles Bridges, if you want to, if you want to go to Charlotte, just yep. being that versatile defender that can also hit an open three and then finish around the rim. Like the, that's something that every team really, really needs and that really wants. Um, there are questions. Maybe, maybe that jump shot doesn't, doesn't develop at all. Yeah. Maybe just stays not being a good three point shooter, especially because with the line moving back, like you never know. Um, he also is a guy that doesn't have very tight handles. Mm-hmm. Um, watching his scouting report, he's a really bad passer. Yikes. Like like a very bad, very bad inbounder. And he makes a lot of mistakes just trying to make passes that he can't make. Mm-hmm. So I think that best case scenario with him is he's a guy that doesn't, if he is, the ball is in his hands, I think it should, should be going up or he should be basically setting a, uh, uh, a screen. a screen handoff yeah that didn't sound right coming out. i was like there's gonna be a better but yeah so a pick handoff or whatever you want to call it um that's where he's at his best mm-hmm. i believe if he's just going to be catching and shooting open threes and getting lobs and getting getting dishes while he's cutting to the basket i think that's where he's gonna be most effective um offensively like like offensively i don't think his ceiling's too too high no. but he still does have that potential because he is so raw he is so he's, he's fairly young Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I mean, in 23 minutes, well, I'll give you a positive and a negative uh, about his potential. Um, in 23 minutes as a freshman, he averaged a block and a half a game and almost one steal, 0.8 steals per game over 23 games in 23 minutes. Unfortunately, he only averaged 0.9 assists and had 1.6 turnovers. Yeah. So, like I said, like offensively, he's super raw. Like, yeah, but. He does have that athleticism and he's not a terrible free throw shooter. So there's like, there is a lot of hope with him. Yeah. That's so. And, uh, Auburn, and it's a high upside. Who's the, who's the coach at Auburn again? Uh, he, we saw him I go no to the final four two years ago or three years ago. I don't know. I don't know very many college coaches. I don't watch a whole ton of basketball. That's why that's why I need to get into it. Cause I had to do a lot more work for myself now trying to, trying to figure out who all these players were. I'm watching a whole bunch of scouting, scouting tapes on YouTube. So yeah, um, I know I've got the guy's face in my head. Bruce Pearl, Bruce Pearl is his name. Really, he's over. He's over Auburn. Okay, Tennessee guy, former Tennessee guy. Um, I do know that name actually. But so yeah, so JT Thor is my number two. So and our number one, I don't think this you led to it. Yeah, Brandon Boston Jr., BJ Boston, whatever you want to call him. Uh. I think he's got the highest upside of any second round pick by far. Hundred um, percent. He's a guy that was projecting the top ten last year. Like going into his college season, people thought he was going to be a top ten player. Yeah. Uh, and the, then, he went out, then he went out last year and shot thirty five percent from the field and thirty from three. Yeah. But a positive to that is that I feel like if you look at the second half splits, like I'm pretty sure he was shooting like 17% the first half of his college season from three. Yeah, there was – He there was, was like atrocious. He was really bad. 
Yeah. So he was atrocious, I think, to start the year. I think second half he turned it on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's he's a guy that at his ceiling is a DeMar DeRozan. Like, he's legit. Like, his ceiling could be that high. Yeah. At the same time, he could be a guy that is a James Young, just <laughs> never, never makes it out of his rookie contract. Yeah. Because his best skill is shot creating. There's a lot of elite shot creators. Uh, he does have some defensive potential because he is like six five and athletic. Um, so I think it gives him some hope defensively. He's he's a guy that I think can be a good passer. He didn't really show it last year, but I think he has a lot of skills that you kind of see flashes of. His shooting, I think, will come along, um, especially in catch and shoot scenarios where maybe he's not the primary option. Yeah. I do think he might need to tweak his jump shot a little bit because it is watching just film on him. It is pretty slow. Yep. And it's like, it looked like elbowy too. Yeah. So he might need to tweak his jump shot a little bit. I think best case scenario, he gets drafted at 45 and he spends a lot of time up in, up here in Maine with me um, mm-hmm. for the Maine Celtics. And I think that if he gets a chance to be that lead creator role, um, have a chance to kind of handle the offense a little bit get more comfortable uh, pulling up because that was a big part where he struggled at. I didn't see – I don't remember the exact numbers, but uh, when I was watching the video, they showed his pull-up jump shots were not very effective whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, he does need to clean up his handles, uh, get better at creating separation because he does have that slow jump shot. Yeah. Um, he wasn't – he is a good finisher around the rim. Yeah. So because, of once again, like he has really good athleticism. I think he projects to be a good shooter. Like, I do think he can be a good shooter in this league. I do think he can be a guy that can be a really good shot creator because he is good at getting around the rim and he is very, uh, very crafty around the rim and in the mid range. And it's just finding that consistency with his jump shot and maybe he'll quicken the jump shot so that way he doesn't need as much separation or tighten the handles a little bit more so he is able to um, create more. But, but I mean, he's super, super boomer bust pick. I think I'd be very surprised if he's just a middling rotation player. Like he can be a guy that can, I think at his peak, be a guy go out and score 20 a game. Yeah. I, that's what I was about to say. I mean, if you got 25 minutes or 20 minutes on the bench, you can go out and probably expect him to score 12 to 15 points every night. Yeah. I think as it stands right now, I don't think he's probably ready for the NBA just yet. I don't think he's ready to be a rotation player, especially on a competing team. Right. So I do think that maybe you send it, you send him to the, uh, the main Celtics and you let him, let him work a little bit, work on those skills, work on uh, cleaning up that jump shot a little bit. And then he comes in next year and becomes a real rotation player. That would be so fun. But he fits in the same mold that, I mean, he's not the same mold, but positionally he's going to be similar to um, Romeo and, and Neesmith. So I think maybe maybe it is good to have him wait a year, see what you got after that year, and then see maybe because maybe Romeo doesn't take a jump at all, and maybe uh, BJ is 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 great down in Maine, and he looks good in practice, and it looks like he's going to be able to take that step. Maybe move on from Romeo. So I think it would be good to if you do pick him in the second round, just let him cook down in Maine, uh, work on work on cleaning up his offensive game because he does have show sparks, he does show that potential but I just think he needs it to be realized a little bit. So, Yeah, and I mean, there's a reason we both had him at number one because he's got the best, the biggest upside, the biggest star potential. And that's what I was like – I mean, that's why I was so high on Romeo when we drafted him because like, Romeo was another guy. I think Romeo was projected to be like a top five pick. like Out of high school? And, yeah, out of high school. Like he was, he was a guy that 
was incredible, and he was known more for his offensive game. People thought he was going to be a legit three-level scorer in the NBA, mm-hmm. and he hasn't shown that at all. But I still, I still believe there's hope. So I'm still waiting on Romeo. I think this third, a third year is kind of a. I feel like year three is kind of a big make-or-break year to at least see some growth from him offensively. Yeah, he either needs to be able to consistently hit a wide-open three, or needs to be able to uh, begin showing strides in playmaking. But, but I mean, the more the merrier. Those first towel wings. I mean, like I said, with Romeo Neesmith, uh, and if we do get BJ Boston, that's a bunch of guys that are within like six, uh, like or like six four to like six 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 seven. Mm-hmm. I don't know how tall Neesmith is. I think he's like six six. Yeah, I think but, so. I think guys that BJ Boston six six as well. Yeah, and guys that can just probably six guard seven, the the two seven. Yeah, guys that can probably guard the two through the three, maybe even some smaller fours. Um. And that's another concern with BJ Boston is he's very he's very thin he's not very strong so that is a concern if you do want him maybe um, with his defensive versatility is he probably needs to put on weight if you do want him guarding most most fours in the NBA right and so he's not picked on if he is if he is on the court so definitely definitely some things to work on I do think best case scenario he is kind of like stashed for a year and then he's able to contribute obviously you don't you want to see your picks but. You want to see your picks play immediately. Well, the second round is such a crapshoot. Usually, you either get a guy with a very low ceiling that is a rotation player right now, mm-hmm. or you get a guy that is maybe a project player, and you have to work on him a couple of years. And sometimes it just doesn't work out. It's like not terrible to miss on a miss on a second round pick, but it's not. No, no. Um, I I like a lot of what we're talking about here. Um, obviously, if we're able to get a guy with projected first round talent uh that would be awesome at 45 without having we would have drafted what 16th 15th yeah four yeah six yeah 16 sounds right or 14 no 14 is the lottery okay yeah so 16 16 sounds right somewhere around there um so yeah i would i would love without having a first round pick i would love to see a lot of those guys um do you want to give a first five see who got who can correctly pick the first five um okay so i think it's gonna go Cade. i think that's pretty consensus Cade's going number one yeah i think it's gonna be Jalen green too to houston yep i think three to the Cavs. i think they're actually gonna probably likely trade out of that slot yep um jared allen free agent this year next year I think he may be an RFA, like a restricted free agent this year. I don't think so. I think he maybe has, it's next year. I think he signed an extension. I don't think he signed one yet. Uh I don't know. I I haven't played 2K in a while, but whenever I did play 2K, he always had multiple years. So I think it's next year. I think I think it's next yeah. year. He might have been the was he the same draft class as Rob? Maybe. That sounds somewhat right. Yeah. Maybe not though. Um, so what either way though, say you do have him maybe for another year, maybe he's a free agent. I think they might trade out of this spot, maybe try and move back a little bit because I think it seems like Mobley's pretty uh clear cut as the number three right now. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they which I think might not be a great decision to move out of this pick because I think fit wise it doesn't really make sense, but I think talent wise he is the third best player. Yeah. So I think if they do trade out of the pick, I even if they, I think I think Mobley goes three. I think no matter what, they'll try and do something with him. They'll try and figure it out with him and 
uh, him and Jared Allen. So I think Mobley goes three. I think Suggs goes four. And I've seen a lot of hype now for Scotty Barnes going five. I think Kumingo is uh, slotted there for a while, but I think Scotty Barnes is rising up the draft ranks. Mm-hmm. So I think people are really starting to dive into Kumingo's film. I think he's been less less than stellar. He was less than stellar last year in the G League. Yeah, I mean, the five, I I have that same exact order, with, but except for Kuminga going five. I mean, or, Orlando has the five, and the only way I see them being not taking Kuminga is if one of the guys previous to him were available, and or if they don't want another project. I mean, they've sat around, they've had Jonathan Isaac for three years, they've had Mo Bamba for two, three years. Uh, they're going to be a really, really bad basketball team. And I don't know, like it, they, they could, they, they're in full rebuild. They could go for a project guy because Kuminga is a guy shot 24% from three, you know, like, but I think like his best skills, people are projecting him to be like a shot creator, like being a lead scorer. Mm-hmm. Whereas, whereas Scotty Barnes, like he's a guy, yeah, he's not a great scorer, but um he is a guy that is super versatile defensively. He and he's a great playmaker. Like he was, he was the he's a point forward. Like that's his best role is if he's um, creating for others with the ball in his hands. So yeah. I mean, he's six nine, two hundred thirty pounds. Yeah, and he he's another guy that can guard like one through. Well, looks like a guy that can probably guard one through five at the next level. Mm-hmm. So I mean, he's a project pick too because shooting wise, he doesn't look. He hasn't shown really too much as a shooter. So twenty seven percent from three. Yeah. So I think either way, I think the, the Magic are going to have some some work to do for their guys. But at least, at least with what Scotty Barnes is good at is he's shown it. He's shown that he's good at at a, at a high level. Whereas Kuminga's main role being a shot creator, being a lead scoring option, he did not look like that at all uh, last year. No, he didn't. Um, so yeah, that that's our projected top five. Not much variance because I think there are like there are four clear cut guys. Um, in Cade, Jalen Green, Mobley, and Jalen Suggs. I'm yeah. super excited to watch Jalen Suggs at the next level, man. Yeah. Um, you want to give our favorite non, uh, non like top five pick? that we like or not in like top eight, like kind of later first round pick that we really like. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I think it might be Jalen Johnson. I know like obviously the year that ended in Duke isn't great, but I do think he has um, a lot of skills that would make him a solid player in the NBA. I think he's very, very Rudy Gay like where he has potential to be a, a versatile defender can guard like three, three or fours. I think he's a guy that uh, can be – he's going to be a good finisher on the rim because of his athleticism. He's a guy that could be a pretty good shot creator, shoot from the mid-range, and even possibly uh, stretch out and shoot some threes pretty effectively. I think he he's projected at like 20. 15 to 20, yeah. Yeah. He would have been a guy that would have been very nice on the Celtics at that 16 spot, I think. Um, Jalen Johnson's an interesting one. I know this guy who I'm about to talk about, has sort of shot up the board has who's having a great great combine and that's uh james bognight from uh connecticut huge fan of him yeah so i like i've decided that i'm a bandwagon connecticut fan so i was watching some a lot of some of their big east games and their uh tournament games 
And the one thing with Booknight that kind of scares me is like he doesn't shoot threes. He's a pretty top ten pick. He doesn't really shoot threes very well. But a lot did, of that he, is, he had he had a really good combine shooting threes. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of that was probably to blame for his shot selection rather than his shot alone. So his shot doesn't look terrible. Huh. He doesn't shoot threes a whole lot. He's not really uh, a very good defender. He's not a very good playmaker. So when like not, when the people don't have like those three like any of those three skills, that does worry me a little bit. So I feel like it does lower their floor a lot. I think his ceiling is pretty high because he does look like a guy that could be a really good shot creator, a guy that could be a three level score if he uh, if he develops the way. He's projected to, but it, it just it always does scare me with those guys that don't have that 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 skill that can kind of play on any team. Yeah, all right. I'll give you I'll give you one that's more of a later round around twenty projected, uh, and that's uh, Zaire Williams from Stanford. I was a huge fan of him coming out of uh, high school. Went to Stanford, had a okay year. Didn't shoot the ball well. He was hurt for a little bit. He always he was playing with a big old knee brace on, and. uh the one, the one issue uh, with him is his uh, foul trouble. Every Stanford game I watched, it seemed like he was getting, he was getting uh, two fouls early, sat for the end of the half, and then picked up another one and was out by with a couple minutes left at the end. Um, Zaire Williams is a guy who came out of high school and was a projected, again, a top five, top seven, top 10 pick. Um, a guy going around between 18 and 22 in the draft would be would be pretty sweet. I know um, who's picking around there. Let me look. Uh, I guess I'd say, like, I don't know, who's a 60, the Hawks, maybe? Memphis, Oklahoma City has 18, New York has 19. Atlanta has 20. Yeah. So around there, Dallas has 21. Oh, no, no. New York has 21 from the Mavericks. Yeah, for the Porzingis trade. Holy shit. That's looking bad. That's looking worse and worse. And it really especially is. Especially if the guy, if like, say, like, is Zion Williams becomes a stud. Mm-hmm. I mean, the best player, the most uh, effective player from that trade has been Tim Hardaway Jr., not Chris Ops, So. He's, he's Chris up still fine. Like he, he obviously didn't look great in the playoffs, but regular season he was fine, but yeah. he doesn't look like that number two. And he's complaining about being the number two. And really, it really was pissing me off. When people were floating that Kemba for him trade. It's like, he's mad that he's the number two on Dallas. You think he's going to be happy being the number three on Boston? Yeah. I floated that to you. Oh, you did. Yeah. That was some bullshit. I was like, dude, <laughs> he's fucking, he's fucking already, he's already pissed. dude. He's going to be more pissed. And he's playing in Boston. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um so that's our draft talk yeah so that was i'm glad that at least with our projected celtics pick we did have some differing opinions so that way we were able to talk about some more guys that possibly floated there yeah hopefully hopefully it isn't one of like the the one of the only four guys or the i guess five guys we didn't mention from our list i mean it could be really anyone the second round has such volatility with where guys are going but yeah, there's no way to really project that yeah um, we could, so we before, could be the C's could be drafting a Croatian big man and stashing him. Yeah. Um, so before we move on to the like Olympic slash deal talk, I just want I forgot about uh, Nigel Hayes. Oh yeah, Did you see that? And he, that was so funny. Yeah, because I t- texted you about it, and I was like, "That's so like I don't, we were randomly talking about that uh, that Wisconsin team, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Yeah, I really like that. I remember they had like a young like black like wing player, and I couldn't think of his name, and it was Nigel Hayes. And it was funny that." He happened to get linked, but it's looking, I don't know, I think there's a probably 50-50 chance 
It's basically hinging hinging on whether or not it's a guaranteed roster spot. Yeah. So if he does have a guaranteed, he's coming over. If it's not guaranteed, he's going to stay over over in Europe and play for some teams over there. And uh, I, I did see that um, on more Celtics news, uh, Tremont Waters was practicing outside of Celtics facilities and uh, looking to try to f- crack a rotation on someone else's team. Sure. Yeah, sure. Go right ahead. Um, <laughs> it's like let's find it. Let's find a team that you're going to crack the rotation consistently with your fucking absurd usage and turnover rate. Yeah. Um. So that could that spot could go to Nigel Hayes and give him a a run. I know he was. There's conversation about him being on the summer league team. Uh. But again, like you said, it probably would come down to the roster spot guarantee. Yeah, because he. I think he likes it over there in Europe. So I think if if there's if if he doesn't have a guaranteed roster spot, he's just going to keep the safe money and stay over there. Yeah. That could be interesting. It could um, be interesting. I mean, I don't I, – I didn't look up any of his European stats, any of his stats since he came out of college. Did he get drafted? I feel like he must have been a second-round pick. I don't think he would have gone undrafted. Let me take a look. Maybe not, though, because I feel like if he was a second-round pick, he'd still just be in the league by default. So maybe he did go undrafted. Let me um. So right now going on, dude, I don't know if you know, like the America's USA is playing right now. Right now? Yep. But guess where? Guess the only place is available to watch. Where? If you have the Peacock uh, streaming service. I don't have that, Matt. I don't have it either. It's I think and everything else. I have Amazon Prime. I have Hulu Live. I have Netflix. I have HBO Mad. Of yeah. course, the fucking one streaming service I don't have is I'm not going to buy Peacock. It's literally just all. The only, ben- the only thing you can watch on Peacock other than those one of the Olympic basketball games is fucking The Office. That's all they have. Like everything yeah. else is not worth my time. So, I that's so stupid. Why yeah. not? So just, would, it, it's the fucking Olympics. Put it on NBC. Yeah. Well, NBC owns it, so that's why they they want people to buy their streaming service by, um, like forcing their hand. Which like it's it's smart, but at the same time, it's pissing me the fuck off. Yeah, it's not consumer friendly, Matt. No. Um, so yeah, uh, so that's some bullshit. So we'll, I mean, that's pretty much our Olympic talk. Well, but I'll probably see highlights and be able to look at the box score. We can talk about that next week. But yeah, Nigel Hayes went undrafted, uh, signed with the Westchester Knicks, then played for the. Uh, says he played for the Lakers and the Raptors. Probably like ten days. Yeah, t- and then went down and played with the Raptors G League, Sacramento's G League, and then moved to Europe in 2018. Yeah. Okay. Well, oh, all I mean, of, he played with all of those teams in 2018. He went yeah. from the Knicks to the, the Westchester Knicks to the LA Lakers to the Raptors to the Raptors 905, Sacramento Kings, and then went to Europe. So he probably just, like, got 10 Just 10-day, 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 yeah. Um. So, yeah, so that's – could be interesting. That was a name I just had for a while. 2018 G League All Rookie Team. Ooh, that's big. He's we playing like that, seven different we teams. With, we saw that with Tremont Waters. Um, yeah, he was Rookie of the uh, Year. He was. Yeah, so that that clearly is a sign for success. It is. Um. <laughs> so yeah, like we said, the Olympics. I, I wish I, my plan was to watch the game while we were recording. Mm-hmm. Um, that obviously can't happen because I'm not going to buy Peacock. I didn't want to go through it because I figured that out at seven, like seven fifty five. That I wasn't going to be able to do it. So, 
sick. Huh? Like, well, I'm not going to get all that shit together and figure out a seven day free trial or something. But, um, so the last thing, Brad Beal. So, uh, there's been a big time source off. I don't mm-hmm. know if you saw, you sent me the, the tweets talking about if Brad Beal was to request a trade, it would be the Celtics because of his relationship, relationship with Jason Tatum. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I've seen a bunch of other conflicting reports saying that he doesn't plan to have a trade. I've had some that he's looking to request a trade in the future. Uh, so I don't know where it stands. I don't know. It sounds like if he's going to request a trade, it will be to the Celtics, but I've heard, I have heard, uh, he doesn't want to trade. I have heard he wants to trade uh, with no specific destination. I have heard that he wants to trade specifically to the Celtics. So um, there's was, a few ways. Go ahead. So there's a few ways this could work. Um, realistically, like he does only have he has a year left and then a player option. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's not long ton of long-term value. And if he requests a trade specifically to the Celtics, I think we could do it without giving up Jalen Brown. I think that's the only case. I think if it's if he doesn't request a trade specifically to the um to the Celtics, I think that we might have to give up Brown in order to get him. But if he's requesting a trade specifically, like we saw with uh James Harden, or I think I'm trying to think of one other one other situation we saw before that, like with uh Paul George. Yeah, but even Paul George they got a pretty good haul for. Yeah, they got eight picks. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I guess I guess Harden's the most comparable, but even then, it's not super comparable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you could give them maybe. Um, I think you give them probably Al and two first round picks. You just need to get Al because of the money. Yeah, um, and then throw in throw in some young guys too. You'd have to because I think they'd want guys. So I think you'd either have to throw two of the three of Romeo, Rob, and Neesmith. Yeah, I think that's the only way the deal works. Even then, that's giving a pretty good haul, I think. Like, it's obviously not equivalent to Bradley Beal, but I mean, that's a pretty good building block if you're, if you're the Wizards. Like, that's a good place to start your rebuild. Yeah. You have some picks, you have some good young players, some legit good young players. And, and, uh, Neesmith is going to be a legit good young player. Rob is, uh, already a really good player. Yeah. Um, and, and Romeo, I mean, Romeo still is potentially still very young. He's still a guy that could wind up being a very solid player in the NBA. So we just have to wait and see with him. Um, depends on who they maybe like more. Yeah. I know they really liked uh, Daniel Gafford last year for the Wizards. I know I'm not sure if Robin Lopez is still under contract. I don't think but, so. But either, either way, uh, either way, Rob would still be effective and still be good minutes on that team. So maybe they do go the two wings. If, the, if this was a trade scenario, that would leave us in better shape too, because Definitely. we're getting a wing back and we're not losing two two centers. Right. But we would be able to make that up too. Like if we, if we had to, I think, I think if we were to have to trade Rob in order to get Brad Beal, I think we would be able to sign like Nerlens Noel or someone like that mm-hmm. just for maybe a year and then maybe draft a center, maybe do something else. Um, if we trade for one later on. trade yeah trade, trade one later on yeah 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 so that'll be interesting i would like to see brad be on the team i do think we need a third star and like i said like i've said earlier with um i don't think we can really acquire that third star till al's offer of books so i yep. thought that was later down the road but if we can acquire one now then maybe resign him long term and build the team around those three i think yep. that puts us that makes us a championship uh level contender with in a pretty pretty quick amount of time. Definitely. I agree. Brad Beal to the Celtics would be incredible. 
Yeah, without giving up Jalen, of course. So if we give up Jalen, I don't think it's I don't think it's a huge huge leap. I think we'd still have to wait to get we'd still have to wait to get Al Horford off our books, and we'd have to wait to acquire players. Still, probably need to get a guy that's maybe a third star. Yeah. So that would speed up our process quite a bit if we were able to acquire Brad Beal without giving up Jalen. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? What else did we have? I think that was honestly about it. Yeah. I couldn't think of anything. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be exciting. Next week, we're going to know who we have. The draft is on Thursday, so don't forget to watch that. Yep. The 29th. Um, yeah. 29th. So that will be fun. I'm excited to see where, where everyone goes. And too. I always like watching the NBA draft. And and that's the real kickoff of the offseason, too. Like, we've obviously... I mean, we saw that weird, the weird Kemba for Al trade in the middle of the playoffs. But for the most part, like once the draft starts, that's when things really start moving. So there'll probably be some draft day trades, definitely. And then there'll probably be afterwards some guys maybe getting moved afterwards, and we right get right into free agency. Uh-huh. Um, so it's an exciting time. Like, is it free agency start like August one, August third? Yeah, it's it's right after, and then we get yeah. summer league, and then we're get preseason, and then we're back we're back to we're back to regular season basketball before we know it. Mm-hmm. So that's something to look forward to. I'm pumped. We will have some some good uh, some good talking points, some good segments coming up. We're in the mix to try to do some more sort of softer, some funnier segments. Uh, keep uh, keep keep in tuned on that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and ho- I mean, hopefully, we're gonna have to stay entertaining throughout the off season. But I think the off season will have plenty of speculation, and absolutely, we can get really deep deep in the web and next yeah. week i'm sure whoever we draft we'll go we can go deep in their scouting report and really get the full lowdown on whoever whoever we pick with the 45th pick right and who doesn't want to hear both of our opinions on speculation yeah i love some good speculation talk absolutely do you have uh <sighs> it's, it's your turn to pick the draft draft day draft day all right we're going draft day by future or d malzano our future uh, drake and drake yeah, okay. Drake. Yeah, so we'll, we'll go to that one. It's only fitting with it yeah, being yeah. draft day and all. Okay. Okay, man. Have a good, Have one. A good one. Yeah. Yeah. Draft day. Johnny Manziel. Five years later, how am I the man still? Draft day, A Wiggins, fuck that other side, bitch, we stay winning. Oh man, you know I had to do it for you. You know I had to do it for you. Yeah, suits and ties yelling out, pay the guys, man, I had to do it for you. You know I had to do it for you. You know I had to do it for you. Oh man, oh man, oh man, man, you know I had to. Sometimes I laugh with God about how you can't stop me. I'm his darkest angel probably, but he still got me. Yeah, I'm getting mine, but still I better live. The shit I set aside to make sure that my people getting by. Brunch with some guitar royals and my cup is all oil. You know it's rare when your niggas will take the fall for you. All loyal, so you keep egging me on. And we gon' have to crack your shell just to prove to you you ain't hard-boiled. Mm. Last night I tried some raw oysters 
Man, that boy growing up quick. That boy know he the shit. That boy singing on every song when he know he could spit. That boy manifested it. That boy knew it was written. That boy did it on purpose. That boy know that they shitting on you when they can't get past you. You should have followed all my moves. You won't realize the after. And if I left the shit to chance, I would have picked a name like Chance the Rapper. Yeah, no offense, cause I don't know that nigga. I focus on making records and getting bigger. Just hits, no misses, that's for the married folks. Tell them fix my sweet up, cause I'm coming home. I already talking crazy, I was out of town. You know they love to pop all that shit when I'm not around. But when I'm here, not a sound. That'll make me snap, jot it down, go in the booth and lay a body down. Know some Somalis that say we got it, wallahi. Get us donuts and coffee, we'll wait for him in the lobby. And I gotta tell him, chill. Sprite got me on payroll. Let that man live. They say, okay, if you say so. See, whatever I say, go. I play like I'm on Roy's, no Conseco. No Oakland A's, though. Shout out to Beto. I think I'm on my eighth flow. Just watch me paint flows. We all do it for the art, so I can never hate, though. Signing off on more deals than a lawyer with a heavy caseload. How the game turn into the Drake show. Dog, what the fuck happened to so-and-so? Where did they go? Too worried about bitches in fashion. They go missing in action. And then you never notice they missing. On some Hunger Games shit, I would die for my district. Jennifer Lawrence, you can really get it. Yeah, I mean, for real, girl, you know I had to do it for you. You know I had to do it for you. You know I had to, oh wait, sidebar, left some beat at the end so that all of you fuck niggas could loop it and get your lies off. Season. <laughs>